Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. We just wrapped up the book of 1 Thessalonians, which has a warm, if not effusive, tone, right? Paul commends the young church there to steadfastness of faith, even though they're dealing with some testing, and instructs them concerning the Lord's coming and the believer's responsibility in light of that. And then we get to 2 Thessalonians, and it's a lot more blunt. (laughs) Paul addresses bad behavior and bad thinking, predicting judgment even on the ungodly and rebuking church members who don't get their junk together. Still, There is a regular swing back and forth between that and warm encouragement. And there's a timely message for us even now. Jesus' second coming should motivate us to industrious living. And with that, I welcome you to today's slice of our journey through the Bible in a year, uh, which we do Monday through Saturday here, reading through every word of God's revelation of himself in considering our own life stories in light of that. And today we're just going to knock down all three chapters of Second Thessalonians. Now, this motivation for industrious living is rooted or should be rooted in being a gospel-centered people, transformed by God's grace, guided by God's word, and secure in God's salvation. And I want you to just, just hear Paul's heart here, right? Second Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you are also suffering, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. I'm going to pause right there, my friends. I just want you to point out, when do we get relief from affliction? I'm going to just repeat what I just said. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, We always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless... For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But the one now restraining, the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with a breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned, those that did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain glory for our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Now, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, 
so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. I'm going to pause, my friends, because I'm just going to repeat that and point out that that's like in quotes. So he's literally like quoting himself from whenever he was there before. Okay. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you, quote, if anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat, unquote. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but <laughs> busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that, so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And my friends, that is Second Thessalonians. I just thought I'll point out one thing here right toward the end of chapter 3 there as we're rolling. Um, note that when Paul says don't associate with somebody, the objective is reconciliation, right? In the context there, not associating with that person was, quote unquote, so that he may be ashamed. And then Paul even just delineates, don't consider him an enemy, warn him as a brother. That's the whole point of that disassociation. So there is a time for, in a sense, excommunication or or separation but the goal of separation is reconciliation right we are ministers of reconciliation that's paul <laughs> it says that elsewhere so jesus the second coming should motivate us to industrious living don't be lazy don't burn be a burden don't weary people um don't be negligent don't be forgetful so turning to our old testament segment um I just got to say, my mind is blown as I prepare for this uh, separately, a sermon series in Romans 12 that begins with Paul's exhortation to us to be living sacrifices in Romans 12.1. And that takes on a whole new flavor the more I read what we're do, going through right now in Exodus, right? When we remember the Spirit-filled Jesus followers are a kingdom of priests, and what does, what does that have to do with where we're at in Exodus? Well, Today, we're going to knock down Exodus 28, and, and it's useful to keep in mind that all of God's people are priests. We know that from 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, the Aaronic priesthood can teach us much about the privileges and obligations that we have as God's priests, right? The priests represented the people before God and ministered at the altar, but their first obligation was to serve the Lord. We're going to hear that in four different places today. If we serve, or if we would serve people rightly, we must serve the Lord acceptably. Exodus, believe it or not, you can get that 
from what is going to be some descriptions of stuff. Uh, and I'm praying. I'll just pray. Lord God, would you just help the Holy Spirit help us see how descriptions of ironic priesthood clothing might have a message for us today. Exodus 28. Have your brother Aaron with his sons come to you from the Israelites to serve me as priest. Aaron, his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, make holy garments for your brother Aaron for glory and for beauty. You are to instruct all the skilled artisans whom I have filled with a spirit of wisdom to make Aaron's garments for consecrating him to serve me as priest. These are the garments that they must make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a specially woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make holy garments for your brother Aaron and his son so that they may serve me as priests, and they should use gold, purple, blue, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. They are to make the effort of finely spun linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It must have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that they can be joined together. The artistically woven waistband that is on the ephod must be of one piece, according to the same workmanship of gold, of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely spun linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of Israel's sons, six of their names on the first stone and the remaining six names on the second stone, in order of their birth. Engrave the two stones with the names of Israel's sons as a gem cutter engraves a seal. Mount them, surrounded with gold filigree settings, and fasten both stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the Israelites." Aaron will carry their names on his two shoulders before the Lord as a reminder. Fashion gold filigree settings and two chains of pure gold. You will make them of braided cord work and attach the cord chains to the settings. Next section, the breast piece. You are to make an embroidered breast piece for making decisions. Make it with the same workmanship as the ephod. Make it out of gold of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely spun linen. It must be square and folded double, nine inches long and nine inches wide. Place a setting of gemstones on it, four rows of stones. The first row should be a row of carnelian, topaz, and emerald. The second row, a turquoise, a lapis lazuli, and a diamond. A third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. Fourth row, beryl, onyx, and a jasper. They should be adorned with gold filigree in their settings, the twelve stones are to correspond to the twelve to the names of Israel's sons. Each stone must be engraved like a seal with one of the names of the twelve tribes. You are to make braided chains of pure gold cord work for the breastpiece. Fashion two gold cords from the breastpiece and attach them to its corners. Then attach the two gold cords to the two gold rings at the corners of the breastplate. Attach the other two ends of the two cords to the fillet settings and in this way attach them to the ephod's shoulder pieces in the front make two other gold rings and put them at the two other corners of the breast piece on the edge that is next to the inner border of the ephod make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the ephod's two shoulder pieces in its front close to its seam and above the ephod's woven waistband the artisans are to tie the breast piece from its rings to the rings of the ephod with a cord of blue yarn so that the breast piece is above the ephod's waistband and does not come loose from the ephod. Whenever he enters the sanctuary, Aaron is to carry the names of Israel's sons over his heart 
Catch that, my friends. Aaron is to carry the names of Israel's sons over his heart on the breastpiece for decisions as a continual reminder before the Lord. Place the Urim and Thummim in the breastpiece for decisions so that they will also be over Aaron's heart. Whenever he comes before the Lord, Aaron will continually carry the means of decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. The robe. You are to make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue yarn. There should be an opening at its top and in the center of it. Around the opening, there should be a woven collar with an opening like that of body armor so that it does not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn on its lower hem and all around it. Put gold bells between them all the way around so that the gold bells and the pomegranates alternate between the lower hem of the robe, uh, alternate around the lower hem of the robe. The robe will be worn by Aaron whenever he ministers, and its sound... Its sound will be heard when he enters the sanctuary before the Lord and when he exits so that he does not die. The turban. You are to make a pure gold medallion and engrave it like the engraving of a seal that says, Holy to the Lord. Fasten it to the cord of blue yarn so that it can be placed on the turban. The medallion is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead so that Aaron, so that, Catch this, so that Aaron may bear the guilt connected with the holy offerings that the Israelites consecrate as all their holy gifts. It is always to be on his forehead. Catch this, friends. It is always to be on his forehead so that they may find acceptance with the Lord. You ever think about that? Think about your pastor always carrying something to God on your behalf. Mm. And if you're a priest, how you do that for others. Continuing, uh, other priestly garments. You are to weave the tunic from fine linen, make a turban of fine linen, and make an embroidered sash. Make tunics, sashes, and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them glory and beauty. Put these on your brother Aaron and his sons, and then anoint, ordain, and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Make them linen undergarments to cover their naked bodies. They must extend from the waist to the thighs. These must be worn by Aaron and his sons whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the sanctuary area, so that they do not incur guilt and die. This is to be a permanent statute for Aaron and his future descendants. So, in some way, my friends, some part of that, and of course, this is a Bible reading program more than a Bible teaching program. Some part of that applies to how you and I are a kingdom of priests now. Promised in the Old Testament, ratified in the New Testament, particularly in in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to be careful to not overstep my own bounds in that uh, I'm taking you on a journey with me with regard to how much I know and how much I've studied this particular thing. Suffice it to say, I know there is a connection between the imagery, the typology of even this boring stuff of building a temple or the tabernacle and the priest's clothes. And as you'll hear tomorrow, the consecration of the priests, there's a, there's a correlation between that and how you and I live today as a kingdom of priests. All right, we're going to wrap up with a short 
wisdom segment today, Proverbs chapter 15, picking up in verse 23. A person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word. How good that is. For the prudent, the path of life leads upward so that he may avoid going down to Sheol. The Lord tears apart the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. The Lord detests the plans of one who is evil, but pleasant words are pure. Lord God, I just pray that you'll help anything that I've said that is, that is not perfectly in alignment with your, your goodness and truth and beauty. Lord, that, that would just you would just strike that from the mind of the person listening. But Lord, I pray that if to whatever degree any of this, and particularly your word, Lord, uh, is heard, I pray that you would sink that deeply into our hearts and minds and that you would guide us in, in our actions, reflecting exactly that truth and goodness and beauty, not only as we first come to serve and worship you, but as we take that and respond to you by loving and serving others. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.